Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Riccardo Colla, Director of Digital Food Science with RIPE.io and uh, the host of this podcast, Know Your Food. In our current series, we are bringing experts from across the food system to discuss food safety and food security in the COVID-19 emergency. In today's episode, we are going to look at the impact on food innovation. And on that topic, I can't think of any better person than today's guest, Mike Lee. Mike has spent the last 15 years in food design and innovation within companies like Chobani and then as an independent consultant. He's currently co-founder of Alpha Food Labs, a food innovation company that helps companies create strategies and products that are better for people, planet, and profit. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I want to start with uh, know about what you do and uh, uh, as you're guiding innovation and creating new products for both emerging and established food brands, um, can you briefly share some of the exciting projects that are keeping you busy lately? Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, Alpha Food Labs, uh, we are a mission-driven innovation firm and, and we um, help uh, the brands uh, build, build the food system of the future. Um, you know, we're solely focused on working on new product and services with brands that um, are advancing the conversation around people and planet. Um, and, and really, uh, that, that's the big focus for us. So our charter is pretty open-ended and, and you know, we, we can help you know, large CPG companies um, on innovation strategy and then taking it further into uh, product development and, and getting prototypes and validation and, and kind of really compelling products out there. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the work, um, we've been doing as of late um, is really looking at how we scale and productize um, new systems of kind of agriculture, um, specifically things that are focused on, you know, soil health, regenerative agriculture um, and, and biodiversity. And I think, you know, our unique point of view on that is that, um, you know, you need to kind of very gracefully balance in your product proposition the selfish needs of the consumer, meaning flavor, taste, nutrition, price, accessibility, all that stuff, with the altruistic needs, which is things like soil health, water health, worker, you know, farmer safety, equality, um, you know, carbon sequestration, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think this is an interesting time, um, even before kind of COVID. Uh, because you know we're, we're seeing brands come up and, and and the new pattern is like how do you kind of solve all those planet problems but not kind of have it as like a nonprofit attitude meaning you know let's not just sell what we're going to sell and just say one percent goes to donate to the planet how do you actually develop a system whereby the scaling up of that product um, the 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 growth of that product inherently kind of helps out um, the, the system get healthier and, and it doesn't, you know, doesn't degrade it. Um, you know, it, it's sort of a radical idea in, in how 
things are created, um, which has not been done a lot to date. Um, but that's where we think the future is. And, and those are the kind of conversations and projects we're working with, um, with large CPG companies to, to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uncharted territory, uh, but that's what, that's what ex- is exciting about it. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, kind of, a uh, link, link to that. What would you say are the, uh, the most relevant consequences of these, uh, pandemic on, on the product innovation and on the projects you are, you're doing right now? Yeah. Well, so a big blanket theme that's so meaningful to us is just how do we diversify the food system? You know, um, you could argue that a lot of the, if you look at the CPG and the ag side, um, you know, we're seeing all sorts of kind of disasters happen on every scale from meatpacking plants to farms having to just dispose of surplus, you know, produce or, or milk or whatever. Um, and, you know, by and large, a lot of it is, is part and parcel of the high concentration of our food system. You know, um, the meat industry uh, is, is perfectly case in point. Um, you know, when you have a virus that wipes mm-hmm. the plant that processes so much and there's only a few dozen of these mega plants, you, you're, you're putting the whole thing, you know, at risk. And this is no different on an agricultural level to what happened way back with the Irish potato famine. Like they literally put all of their potatoes in one basket. And then the second one kind of disease came, uh, the cost of, uh, of loss was so massive because the entire supply was not diversified. And so therefore it was susceptible to, to danger. Um, the same exact thing is happening right now. Um, you know, we did not have kind of a more distributed food system with kind of redundancies and and kind of um, almost walled off kind of places where that could slow down the the spread of of a pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. um, you had a dozen kind of smaller, medium sized slaughterhouses around local farming communities uh, versus one giant one you know, we probably wouldn't be having as many of these kind of meat shortage conversations now because maybe two or three of those smaller plants got got infected and then you just close them down and everyone else can pick up the slack, so to speak. But mm. that's not the world we live in, you know. Um, so, you know, and, and, and so I think that's a metaphor for uh, what can happen when you don't have enough diversity and resilience in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that happen. Um, yeah. In good times, it's extremely efficient. You know, we can debate the value of the cost of that efficiency, but, you know, it was designed to do one thing only, which is make a lot of cheap food. Um, but now with, with something like COVID, we're seeing the, the downsides of that. Um, and, and so I think it's a chance for us to rethink the system once we get out of COVID. Mm, I, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you that question uh, later on, but as you mentioned, the, the, the meatpacking industry, um, one of the things that we are seeing there is uh, uh, that uh, I was reading, um, I think it was on the New York Times yesterday, and, and uh, out of the 10 uh, biggest clusters, four are meatpacking facilities. All the rest are jails and correctional facilities. So uh, we see, obviously, the reduced capacity because of sick workers, uh, the slaughter of millions of animals, and at the consumer level, empty shelves, uh, buying restriction, higher prices there in, in all uh, the meat categories. Uh, on the other hand, you have alternative meat companies that are seeing their greatest reported rise. So um, 
what is the real difference in terms of health risk for the workers between a, a processing facility, a meat processing facility, and an alternative meat uh, processing facility? Is it just size uh, and diversification, as you mentioned, or is there something else uh, that is really more critical in meat than, uh, for example, the new, the new alternative meat uh, processing facilities? I think it's largely its size, um, but I think it's also the nature of what it, the, the setup of what a meat packing plant looks like versus um, a plant-based meat plant, you know, like a Beyond Meat Factory or Impossible, where, you know, I think um, it's a little less hands-on with the food, so to speak. Um, you know, you, you don't have uh, so many people standing side by side in a giant warehouse kind of manipulating, you know, the products, the, the ingredients that go into an impossible burger. It's a little bit more of an automated thing. So you've certainly got, um, you know, that working against you when you're talking about an infection in a meat plant. But it is also scale to a certain extent, you know, um, you know, the, the impossible and beyond while they're growing very rapidly, you know, they're still not nearly as large as, as the legacy meat system. And I think, you know, if you grew to that size and, and you're so highly concentrated in, you know, one or two companies, so if Beyond or, or Impossible, they become, you know, Tyson and Smithfield, which mm -hmm. maybe they can, you know, I, th I think you're, you're, you would presume if they had the same concentrated kind of uh, production system, you'd, you'd still be susceptible to some respect with what's happening today. Um, maybe just slightly less so because your, your setup is literally a little bit different and you don't have so many kind of just humans in proximity to each other at the plant. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think like, we think about this question a lot regardless of COVID is like, um, you know, can you, can, can you, uh, does, does everything become unsustainable once you scale it to a certain level, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the, the big difference in how we think and how we're trying to, get our clients to think more about is like think more about the systems rather than the ingredients right mm -hmm. um because if you want to come in and say like beyond meat you know whatever we've got you know pulses and peas and they're more sustainable than beef you know that that's a certain argument and and you know but if you become as big as you know one of the major beef companies and we're monocropping all of these peas you know there's downsides to that too you know, maybe not they're that the same as having a highly concentrated CAFO system with animals, but, you know, too much of one thing kind of throws the whole system off balance. So I would argue it's, it's, no, it's not going to be necessarily that much healthier if all of America just swapped out its animal beef consumption for beyond or impossible consumption. Yeah. Um, we need to be kind of distributing the share of stomach a little bit more um, and, and therefore making a more diverse ag system. And, and I remember when we worked together on the, on, on the, on this, on the protein dinner, uh, that diversification of the sources of protein was what uh, uh, you were really pushing forward. And uh, do you see any... Um, uh, then growth opportunities in these alternative protein category. I mean, it's, you mentioned Beyond Meat, Impossible Burgers, uh, um, which are right now the, the biggest uh, companies out there. Uh, do you see this pie being shared amongst many uh, other companies or do you see a consolidation coming in? No, I think um, going forward for the time being, you know, the pie is going to be... The, the pie is going to grow, but I think the slices of the pie are going to be shared between more and more, more people. So, 
while, you know, beyond and impossible are definitely big and they have a lot of influence, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be as big as like a, a Tyson, you know, you know, Tyson and Smithfield, they have such strangleholds on the chicken and pork industries. Mm-hmm. I don't know that impossible and beyond will have the same, a similar stranglehold on the plant-based um, kind of segments. Um, there's a lot of other people coming out with, um, you know, alternatives that are similar to that. Um, but then there's also other alternatives on the meat side, right? You can, you can always get your, your cheap CAFO meat for sure. But then the choices that you have, on more kind of responsibly locally raised meat are out there as well too. So um, we're not stuck with just one choice. And so mm-hmm. I, the, 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 the end result of that is it, it's harder and harder for these kind of giant monopolistic companies to kind of exist in the future. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, the, the importance of having choices and we see also the, uh, the, 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 the shift maybe temporary uh, i hope it's going to be a uh, more permanent to local supply chain uh, coming in uh, as well uh, as a result of this uh, of this pandemic uh, i would like to come back to um to product innovation for a while and and uh, i was uh, uh, reading that most of the big companies are also putting uh, innovation on hold and many of the new brands uh, that were supposed to launch at expos like Expo West uh, are reevaluating whether they their planned launch will be still relevant so as a, an innovation guy an expert in innovation uh, how does innovation and in a, a building an innovation pipeline for a f- small or big food brand looks like today and in the short term I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously there's a giant pause because everyone's kind of not really looking for anything new, even if retailers want to stock it. I think consumers are just kind of running towards comfort and familiarity, and I think that makes sense. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, the innovation opportunities, I think, are going to increase once we get out of this, right? So, mm-hmm. so I, don't, I don't see innovation pipelines indefinitely being stalled, obviously. I, I think we're just at a, a long pause. The question is how long the pause will be, but you know, there's going to be a day, I think hopefully when we get out of it and we get back to, you know, the, the normal pipelines kind of showing up in, in channels. I think what's going to leave a mark though is, um, you know, e-commerce, I think a lot of the trends that were happening already in innovation and how we discover food were just accelerated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think direct-to-consumer e-commerce, online delivery, um, this pandemic kind of gave it a, sh- you know, a, it was sort of like a accelerant to mm-hmm. some of those trends that were happening. Um, you know, so so I think we're going to pick up, and then and I think we're going to see many more needs being unearthed during this pandemic that are going to create new opportunities for for ideas that we haven't even thought of yet, right? So... I think that's exciting too. Um, you know, large CPG companies, by and large, I think they're they're doing pretty well right now. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. The legacy ones, you know, I think. Back to basics, yeah. Yeah, Nestle and Campbell's. You know, they had really good quarters in their last earnings, and um, so I guess the question is like, you know, um, in my opinion, now's the time to start thinking longer term. You've, you've got a better business going on. You're, you're saving money conceivably on things like travel, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, how do you kind of use this as, as a 
place to, to make sure that once you get out of, you know, cause the hardest thing to do is try to innovate during a, like when, when your company is actually tanking, you know, yeah. it's too late then. So I, I would start thinking like, how do you start to think long-term, especially because like, uh, it, it's a little bit of a pause right now mm-hmm. for all these brands. Like it's not a, the, comp- the competition for new products is not as fierce right now because no one's really launching anything. Right. And so like, how do you use this time to make sure when, when everyone else is kind of like on pause too, how do you make sure you're productive during this time so that once we're unpaused, um, you've got something interesting for the market. Yeah. That's how I'd be looking at it. Yeah. Now, um, in these last questions I want to ask is, uh, is uh, okay, we, we, are, we, we are always speaking about the future and uh, you are working on the future of food all the time. Uh, now, can you think of, of any food system conditions, uh, maybe regulations, collaborations, uh, so the food system as a whole that would need to be in place to be better prepared uh, to the next emergency? Um, I, I think it's, I think the infra, it's infrastructure, really. Um, okay. Infrastructure, we're really exposed at, at, at seeing how that bottleneck is. I mean, look, the, the reason why we don't have uh, we have people like slaughtering millions of chickens is because there's, there's a bottleneck in, in, in the processing infrastructure and there's no stopgap, right? And so I think that's something we need to take a, a good hard look at is, is um, we've now seen what happens when, what happens when you take all these plants offline and what that does to the system. Mm-hmm. How do we prevent that? How do we, how do we not be so consolidated? So um, that's important. Um, and, and, and that's something that, that is going to endure. Um, and then I think also just general business model diversification. Um, you're looking at, gosh, so many producers and distributors whose main customer was restaurant and food service are scrambling to try to save themselves. Um, you know, ag is certainly hurting, but you know, obviously I think that the restaurant industry is obviously hurting a lot. I mean, they're, they're Mm -hmm hurting the most out of any of these industries out there. Um, and ironically, I think, you know, independent small restaurants are probably the least well prepared to deal with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think about that a lot. Um, and you know, it's, it's on the one side, I want to be optimistic and think that once we get out of this, we can kind of keep diversifying the food system and, and, and kind of creating that redundancy and that variety and that resilience. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, there's a cynical part that says, you know, I'm looking at what's happening on the writing of the wall, especially with like something like restaurants. And, you know, if you, you, people are estimating 25 to 30% of all independent restaurants are just going to disappear. Yeah. Who's going to soak up all that, that real estate and fill all that demand? You know, is it, mm-hmm. is it going to be like the big chain restaurants, like, you know, Chipotle and McDonald's and Domino's pizza. Like those are the, those are the restaurants that are actually the most optimized to thrive in something like this because it's just such an automated system, you know? Um, and I think it would be a huge loss if, you know, the 20 or 30% of the empty restaurants get absorbed and, and, and create more dominoes and things like that. Um, I think that'll set us back culturally decades. Um, and, you know, I don't want to see that happen. So, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. That's a, that's a good point. So in, in helping uh, that diversification uh, in production, in business models, do you think of any 
technologies that you've seen out there uh, or any advances from the tech side that could uh, really uh, um, help better manage uh, the, uh, the future response and being more uh, flexible, uh, even for small businesses? Um, you know, that's hard because, I mean, if you're talking about restaurants, so much of that locked up into analog things like it, yeah. it's hard to the whole model and the physical model and the business model is really set up to have people in, in the place. So it's, it's not insignificant to just say, Oh, why don't you just start doing takeout? Right. That's a completely different business. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, I would say, and, and I don't know what the specifics might be, but it's like any, anyone that can help kind of um, empower restaurants to do that kind of stuff more creatively, more easily find a network um, better coming out of this, I think will be important. And I think they'll get a lot of attention coming out of this. I think you're getting a lot of uh, pushback on the big kind of Grubhub companies where, you know, the delivery fees are are pretty still, they've always been steep, but I think people now are feeling them even more. I think that opens up an opportunity for new technology, new innovation to find a way to do it more efficiently um, to, to enable kind of that delivery thing without kind of the, the expensive, cost proposition that a Grubhub might bring you, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I think, yeah, D to C in all aspects of food really accelerated a lot. And I think we're all seeing the, the benefits of that. So any technology that can help facilitate D to C, whether you're a grower, distributor, uh, restaurateur, um, those are the things that I think are, are really going to be super important. Um, I see automation um, accelerating as well too. Um, I think, you know, from, getting, you know, having to deal with sick farm workers coming in from Mexico to, to pick strawberries to the sick workers at, at, at you know, uh, meat plants. Um, you know, the, I think that the proposition around automating a lot of these things has become much more attractive. Um, you know, obviously there's a hit because you'll, you'll lose the jobs there. But, you know, if you're, if you're just thinking priority, if you're trying to prioritize efficiency and safety, you know, I think there's a, there's a huge case to be made for, for those kinds of investments to be looked at a little bit harder once we get out of this. Yeah. So the last question is uh, more, uh, I would say, related to what, uh, what you are doing with Alpha Food Lab. Uh, you promote biodiversity and, and food good for people and planet. And I have this uh, among the many images of uh, our planet taking a break, I would say, during this pandemic. I saw fishes... Uh, populating uh, Venice canals, uh, where I live, where I'm from, actually, um, which have never been clearer. Uh, And so is there a silver lining for the food system and the planet? Uh, Do you see any opportunity for longer lasting changes uh, that in the way we grow and consume food that is more sustainable for the planet? Um. I think from, I mean, on surface level, the awareness that it's brought to the food system is amazing. I hope that sticks. Um, You know, I always believe that the first step to getting more in touch with the good food movement and and food systems is to just start cooking. And Mm -hmm. conveniently, we've all been forced to cook, uh, whether we like it or not. And so, you know, 
I, I think just that increased intimacy and, and starting to ask questions about, you know, where does food come from? And potentially also, you know, maybe people um, don't want to go to places like big grocery stores anymore and they're seeking out things like farmer's markets or direct to market CSAs. Um, you know, I, I think that hopefully is a new behavior that sticks and I think helps distribute the, the food kind of system a little bit more. Um, I also think like it's, this has ripped off the, the, the curtain on some of these business models that were never working before, like restaurants. Um, you know, I, I don't think that anything fundamentally shifted about the restaurant model that made it more susceptible to the, I, I think just what happened was that we're now actually exposing how tough and flawed the business model of a restaurant was, especially in an urban place was today. So um, that whole industry is going to have a complete overhaul and a rethinking um, because I don't think we can operate the same way we did um, going forward. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. So where can listeners uh, learn more about you, your company? Yeah, simply uh, visit us on the web at alphafoodlabs.com and everything's there. Very good, Mike. Thank you so much for uh, being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you can find this episode and subscribe to the Know Your Food series on Apple Podcasts or on our website at drive.io slash podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.